0: You know, this idea of removing um, the friction and the barriers that keep people from doing something as a way of changing behavior, much easier to do that than to try to push them and motivate them to do something over and above and beyond.
1: Hello, welcome to the Better Outcome Show, where we explore the possibilities of a new healthcare. Each episode, we bring you a conversation with leaders across the healthcare industry Exploring topics ranging from new treatment techniques and interventions to novel service delivery methods and business models. And now, your host, Rafi Salazar from Rehab U Practice Solutions, a leader in patient engagement and retention strategy. Let's explore the possibilities of a new healthcare.
2: Well, hello again. Welcome to another episode of the Better Outcomes Show. I'm your host, Rafi Salazar from Rehab U Practice Solutions and if you haven't picked up the audible version of better outcomes a guide to humanizing healthcare what are you waiting for it's available <laughs> on audible obviously so audiobook excited to have that out uh, go check it out if you haven't i will say that um it took me a while to record it even though i do the podcast and do interviews on other podcasts and videos sometimes when you hear yourself reading a book sometimes you're just overly critical so it took me a while to get it to where i felt like it was serviceable <laughs> the feedback we've gotten uh, from it the last couple of weeks has been positive which makes me feel like i did something right there so go check it out at audible.com better outcomes a guide to humanizing Healthcare. okay this week i am excited because we get to nerd out on what we're going to call understanding behavioral change and practice management in healthcare private practice so originally when this guest reached out to me my first thought was okay this is great as healthcare providers i know i've written about this on the show i didn't talk about it so much in the book but in the second or follow-up book to it which i'm already crafting we're gonna call it bottom-up healthcare Um, I'm mentioning and I'm exploring this idea of understanding behavioral change and how as clinicians, in addition to the main value that we bring to any patient engagement or encounter being knowledge translation, the idea that we take the vast store of clinical expertise and uh, research evidence and knowledge that we have and we apply it to a specific patient's unique situation, What is the end of that? The end goal of that is to affect at some level, in many cases, behavioral change, whether it be uh, encouraging a patient to adopt healthy lifestyle habits, discontinuing harmful habits like excessive drinking or smoking or, or whatever it happens to be, or simply something like adhering to the course or the prescribed medication or the course of care or the recommendations behavioral change fundamentally is a key piece of any successful plan of care and any patient encounter. So when I originally, uh, when the guests reached out to me and said, I wanna talk about my new project and behavioral change and understanding it, my first thought was, okay, great, we're gonna talk about behavioral change and how we as practitioners and clinicians can leverage some of those factors that influence behavior, human behavior, to get our patients to adopt some of these healthy lifestyle habits or implement some of these behaviors. But as we began talking, we the conversation very much shifted towards practice management. And as leaders, as healthcare organization owners or managers or department heads or supervisors, what can we do on behalf of our teams or on behalf of our organizations to not only motivate our team members and staff to adopt a new initiative or technology or tool or trend or, or service delivery method. But what can we do to intrinsically motivate them to align all of the people on our team with the mission vision, ver- uh, mission, vision, values and purpose of the organization as a whole? So. A couple of the questions early on, I was thinking we were going to talk about behavioral change for patients, and then you can see, you can hear the shift in the in the conversation to, okay, well, what does this mean for for managing staff, for implementing some kind of innovation in our in our practices? So, um, I was very excited about it. Maybe we'll have uh, the guest I have not introduced him yet. So, Kurt Nelson is a, a PhD. He's a behavioral scientist and uh, he's the, the co-founder of The Lantern Group, and um, he explains a little bit about what they do and his new project, uh, The Brain Shift Journal, and hopefully uh, you, will go, you can go check that out. We'll have all the links in the podcast below. He also uh, co-hosts the Behavioral Grooves podcast, which we'll also link down in the show notes below. Um, and maybe we'll have him back again to talk about what I had originally thought we would talk about, which is understanding behavioral change on on, on the part of encouraging patients to adopt uh, healthy lifestyles and, and making real changes in their behavior. But without further ado, here is Kurt Nelson from The Lan- uh, the Lantern Group talking about and discussing understanding behavioral change in the way that we lead people at our healthcare practices and organizations.
0: Well, hey, Kurt. Welcome to the show. How are you? I am doing great. Thank you for having me.
2: Yeah, thanks for coming on. Um, I'm excited to talk to you about behavioral change and the science behind changing in, in general. But before we dive into that, tell us a little bit about yourself, about what you're doing and kind of what brought you to the to the work that you're doing now at, at the Lantern Group.
0: <laughs> Thank you. So I am a behavioral scientist. Basically, I am. Um, fascinated by understanding why people do what they do. And so I've been lucky enough to be able to apply that in my work uh, at the Lantern Group, where we work with companies mostly around employees. So we work with larger organizations and saying, hey, how are your employees engaged? How are they motivated? What are the kind of driving factors behind that? And then put programs in place in order to help increase that and communicate and all of those factors that come into that and then uh, on the side, uh, totally separate from that, with my co-host, Tim Houlihan, we have our own podcast called Behavioral Grooves, where we talk about behavioral science with uh, some of the best researchers and practitioners out there in the world. And so we've been doing that for a number of years. And then recently we've started a new, um, it's part of Lantern Group, but it's kind of a more t- targeted towards... Uh, just everyday people uh, and bringing in uh, tools and research and practices uh, that people can use in order to drive change in their own life. And so we have some journals and other pieces that we've developed based upon some of the behavioral science principles so people can actually utilize some of the insights that we've gotten from our work within our organizational side, as well as the insights that we've gotten from the podcast. And we kind of combine those together into easy-to-use tools that people can take to help them achieve their goals, drive behavior change, make better decisions, all of those types of things.
2: Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a big fan of saying, especially in healthcare, like a lot of what we're doing in and of itself is facilitating behavioral change on part of our, our patients and clients, right? You know, whether it be a chronic disease management program or even chronic pain, changing the way we do things, the way we make decisions has a big impact on our long-term <laughs> clinical outcomes, right?
0: Yeah. I mean, and even if you think about this from the perspective, we've done some work with organizations, um, some pharmaceutical organizations around adherence, all right? Yeah. Adherence to your doctor's orders. And the the biggest, one of the biggest components of people is that they don't adhere to whether it be taking medicine or, as you said, some of the behavioral changes that they want to do in their life. And we go, wow, it, you would think that this is a major component. And some for some people, it's like, this isn't about whether or not I'm going to, you know, this is a, a life and death type of thing. But hey, if I can't, you know, will myself to take a pill twice a day, you know, that's pretty bad when you think about the motivation behind it. And so that actually leads you to go, well, there's more to it than just motivation. There's a lot of other factors that come into people and driving behavior and driving that change and making sure that that's consistent and and happening all the time. So,
2: yeah. Yeah. I I hear sometimes somebody say, uh, it comes up regularly in conversations like, oh, you know, the majority of people, if they're told that, you know, they're overweight, for example, and if they don't lose weight, they're going to, the odds are that they're going to die early because of the all the comorbidities that come along with that. The majority of people won't do any change. They won't make any meaningful lifestyle change. They'll just continue on the same path. And it's almost said, like like you mentioned, it's almost said with this idea of they just can't motivate themselves or they just you know, unwilling to make the change. But there's some serious science backed <laughs> barriers, right, to people making those meaningful changes in their lives. So maybe let's just talk a little bit about like. What are the big reasons that someone doesn't make a change when they know that, like like we pointed out, they need to make this healthy change or this lifestyle change or else there's going to be negative outcomes down the line? What are some of those reasons that keep people from implementing that change in their life?
0: Yeah, there, I mean, there are a number, right? And so this is the fact that we as humans are complex beings. We live yeah. in a complex environment both both our physical environment and social environment and there are a lot of drivers of behavior and so just one of those is motivation so again understanding that motivation is only one piece of this puzzle all right you got you you need to have that or it's easier if you have that motivation but in addition to that there is also environmental factors so and I I use this example all the time, right? If I, I work out of the house, and so if I go down at three or four o'clock because I'm kind of hungry and I open up the cupboard and all I see in front of me are cookies and bad <laughs> snacks and various different things, and I know I shouldn't be eating those, it's really hard. I have to exert a lot of willpower. And for the most part, I probably fail on a regular basis. But if I go downstairs and I open up the cupboard and I don't have those bad choices there, right, then... I have only healthy choices, it's much easier for me to make sure that I'm eating the right things if they're not in front of me at that time. And again, we talk, we can talk about hot states and cold states and various different pieces. You know, we make decisions in cold states that are rational and good. And we make decisions in hot states that are based upon mm, that's that cookie. Yeah. That's really, sounds, that's really good right now. Right. So i well, you don't go that.
2: shopping for groceries when you're hungry. Right. <laughs> exactly. Exactly.
0: And then you have, you know, a, a whole component about the social environment that you're in and. Uh, you know, we are social creatures and we do things because other people are doing them uh, and various different aspects. So again, as we're thinking about some of those behavior change components, it's a multifaceted kind of approach to what's going on. Sometimes it's just as simple as we need reminders. We're forgetful. We we don't remember to take our medicine on time. And so how do we set up the routine or a reminder or a prompt of something in order to do that? Other times it's around making sure that that the behavior that we want is actually um, that it ties into some emotional thing. So we talk about, yeah, the losing weight is a long-term impact on my life. But A, that's long-term, and so we tend to discount that yeah. as opposed to what's immediate. So can we make that impact and the, the value of that behavior change more tangible, more concrete for people, have it become more relevant to their immediate uh, environment or situation as they're in? There's a number of all of those kind of factors that come into play. And so it's really hard to say, oh, well, why don't people do this? Well, yeah. there's a myriad of different reasons for it.
2: Yeah. Yeah, we're big fans here of the the biopsychosocial model of healthcare, which basically says just that, right? Like it's more than just the pathophysiological thing going on with, yeah. with the individual. There's there's where they work, where they live, where they their background, where they grew up, their friends that they're gonna go spend time with and hang out with, right? Like yeah. all of those things impact the way we make decisions, maybe even the way we think about the decisions
0: themselves, right? Well, and you, you think about all of the factors that go into our thinking as well, and and. Uh one of the big pieces that I always talk about from a behavioral science perspective is we we think that we are the rational actors, right? We yeah. can we tell ourselves, oh, I made this decision because of X, Y, and Z. But when we actually peel back those layers and they do research on this and kind of have control groups and various other pieces, we're looking at the, the decisions we make are often just intuitive. They're instinctual. They're emotional. They're a response to something. And then we rationalize on the back end. And so, all of those factors that come into play. And, you know, again, some of my favorite are just some of the priming examples that we do. Like uh, Gary Latham did this fantastic thing with an organization. So this is, you know, again around motivation, motivating people in their work and took a president's email that he sent out every Monday, basically changed uh, 15 words, 12 words in it, made them more achievement oriented, and then track the Performance of those those employees over the course of a week, and this was a call center, so all of the tracking was done electronically. So yeah. it was like how long it took people to, you know, get a resolution, how many calls they they did, all those kind of things. And the people that got the twelve achievement words uh, at the end of the week did like fifteen percent higher performance um, productivity, thirty uh, yeah. percent less error rates. And you are going, really? That's twelve words, right? It's 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 like changing. Um, you know, something to say, striving or, uh, you know, achievement and various different pieces within there. And that doesn't just make really logical sense to us. We go, well, we wouldn't change our work patterns for an entire week because of an email that a president sent out uh, at the beginning of the week with 12 different words in. But when you look at the data, that's what was there. And it's been shown in other places as well. And so even as you talk about, our thinking is influenced by environmental factors, social things, all of those elements that go on behind it. So
2: yeah, yeah, it, 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 that, those kind of research, uh, Publications that come out those studies that come, I love reading them. I, Dan Ariely is one of my favorite to read. He wrote uh, Predictably Irrational. I'm sure you've yep. read it. But um, some of the stuff, like some of the experiments he does in there are so counterintuitive. Yeah. Like logically as a third party, you're looking at it, You're like, oh, clearly no one's going to pick, you know, option <laughs> A, but like 75% of people do. And it's like, what's going on? Um, so specifically around your, your work a lot with organizations and, and getting folks to, you know, be motivated and productive at work. So let's talk a little bit about that because some of the people that listen to this show are managing a clinic, maybe they're mm-hmm. they're uh, organizational leaders in healthcare systems, and um, something like the the twelve word email chain. Like what what are some of the things that that leaders need to think about? Let's say they're going to put a new initiative or implement yeah. a new initiative for maybe rolling out a, a new way of delivering care at the organization or something. Maybe a new service offering, a new treatment offering what are some of the factors that they need to be thinking about before they just, you know, throw stuff on the wall and see what sticks. Like I'm sure there's a way that you can kind of think about the idea and then kind of plan it for success instead of just, Oh, you know, people aren't doing this or we're going to have to shift here or shift there. Like, what are some of the things we want to keep in front of mind kind of at the beginning of the process to say, okay, we're going to kind of remove some of the friction. So people adopt this technology or implement this new treatment technique or, or whatever it happens to be.
0: Yeah. And you bring up one of the big pieces that we always kind of look at is trying to understand what are the friction points that people are going to uh, encounter when they are doing whatever changes. So putting a new program in place. All right. So what are those those friction points that are going to keep them from doing that? And oftentimes we look at those, maybe it's technology, maybe it's the way that the the site is set up, various different things. But we also have to look at the emotional friction points that people have. And so this is a thing that I think oftentimes many organization leaders kind of discount, right? They Uh go, well, I'm paying you, you're an employee, you should do what we say. When in fact, you know, people are driven Uh, as we talked about before, by some of the emotional elements that they have, as opposed to some of the rational pieces that we think they should have. And so always trying to understand what are the things that are in their way. Kurt Lewin, a famous um, social psychologist from the 40s and 50s, actually talked about You know this idea of removing um, the friction and the barriers that keep people from doing something as a way of changing behavior much easier to do that than to try to push them and motivate them to do something over and above and beyond and so oftentimes what we see in organizations is the levers that they have the lever that they think about are the things of around pay or a bonus or um you know telling you to do something those those are the levers that we typically use when we think about behavior though we know we're social creatures so how do you get other people on board how do you create something so that the your coworkers workers and your, your you know the frontline managers are bought into this and that they're doing the right behaviors because you will probably mimic what they're doing as opposed to kind of being the the lone wolf outside of that um what are some other things like what are the challenges how can you how can you engage people in this so that it it matches with something that they find intrinsically um motivating so we talk about extrinsic versus intrinsic motivation and again i think oftentimes people go well it's one or the other and most of the research now says no it's not there's a it it usually overlaps yeah a little bit of both and so how do you tap into the intrinsic side of things and part of that is we're novelty seeking. We we like challenges. We like goals. How do you set those up so people buy into them and 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 all of those factors that come into it, and then just kind of understanding like, you know, people typically organizations have a culture and kind of a personality about them, and if we the the people that kind of stay in there uh, adopt that personality or match that adopt is probably the wrong word, but they, you kind of self-select into organizations, uh, you know, unless you're really desperate for a job and you're there, yeah. but, you know, so how do you tie into that underlying, um, drive that they have, what it is, why are they working for you as opposed to somebody else? What is that? What is that, um, objective, their purpose? And can you tie into some of those factors? So those are all things when, again, as, the, as if I'm a manager of a clinic and I'm trying to change something, I need to take all of those factors into consideration and uh, really think through this much more holistically than just saying, oh, I'm going to put this in and I'm going to offer a, a you know $10 yeah, bonus, bonus for everybody whatever, that yeah. does it and do things like that.
2: Yeah, how important is... So, I mean, we've talked a little bit in the past about like the mission, the vision, the values of the organization, and you kind of just said it yourself, like people self-select into the organization. At what point, I guess, does this become one of those things like, oh, we just hired the wrong people versus the people that have come to the organization <laughs> are now being formed into the culture here? Is, it, is there a hard line or can you take somebody that maybe was desperate for a job and now they're conforming to the culture of the organization?
0: So I think if you look at just behavior, you can definitely drive behavior based upon the social norms that are established uh-huh. within an organization. That that kind of is uh, pretty well established in in both the kind of experience as well as I think any literature that you're looking out there on that. Um, I think it gets harder if you're trying to instill like, we want you to be rah-rah about yeah. this. Um, and I often talk about this from a... Like if if I'm going out to a cocktail party and I'm working for an organization and I overhear somebody talking about the company and they're maybe saying something disparaging or maybe even it's it's in, factually incorrect and they're saying something bad, do I feel the need to go up and correct that person or say, "Hey, I work there. That's it's not how it is at all, right?" Or do I just go, ah, "I don't care," you know, and and just kind of walk away? Um, and and that difference, that idea of having that sense of belonging uh yeah that you're part of something i think is a lot harder to build a lot harder to create but when you do that builds that loyalty and various different things and oftentimes what ends up happening is people um kind of can build get that sense as they're you know if it's a smaller organization various yeah. different pieces but as it grows it might change and they're still stuck back in this old paradigm or vice versa right the people have grown environment the society has changed and the organization stuck back there and you have both of those yin and yang kind of pieces that come to, to come to play
2: yeah like you've got small organization maybe it's a small clinic with like one you know main owner ceo type person maybe they've got 10 or 15 people working for them and then as they grow it just gets sometimes it can be a little more difficult, right? To, to communicate those, that mission vision value, because it's all been this one person's brainchild, so to speak. And now as the organization grows and you get middle managers in place, and it's kind of getting filtered through different levels. And, um,
0: People misinterpret, right? Exactly. They 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 put their own lens on it. All of a sudden you got four different lenses that are looking at this, and all of a sudden the people underneath them have their own lenses. And so all of a sudden, this what was kind of a cohesive approach and kind of feeling around that mission vision is now like you know, this kaleidoscope of various different versions of it. And that in and of itself isn't necessarily bad if they're kind of aligned in the general right vicinity. Where it gets wrong or bad is when oh this group is going way to the to the right and this group is going way to the left and you're like going wait they're vastly different um and that can be that can be a big big hurdle for people
2: yeah I guess if let's say there is an organization making that shift maybe they're going from one location to two or two to three or three to four kind of the same with this new initiative what are some of the things that they need to be thinking about okay we're gonna bring on maybe we're gonna build a remote team here in another clinic how do we communicate? this mission vision value so that we don't end up with you know clinic a going 100 in the opposite direction as
0: clinic b so if there's any way to um a couple things right so if you're opening a new clinic in various different pieces can you get some people um who are with the original clinic to kind of move over at least for a short period of time to to build it to kind of start it yep train the trainer to kind of build that in because a transference of culture within organizations, uh, as much as you think, oh, I can write this down on a on a four by four card, that's not how it works. It works basically by watching what other people do and seeing what they're doing and kind of hearing how they talk about things, the way they approach a situation, how they approach a problem, and by having that kind of hands-on, which is one of the interesting pieces in today with remote and hybrid work, you know, that that yeah. element of kind of building and and creating and instilling that culture in that remote workforce is vastly different than how you do it in person. So if, first off, if you can, if you can kind of bring some of that old guard over, even for a short period of time, if not, make sure that your are you're, you're fostering communication and, and um interaction between the two so that they can have questions and and not just in a formal situation either but kind of in informal elements and so that they can just have conversations like how how do you guys when this happens what do you do what what you know cuz that's where the learning comes right it's that i'm in a situation and i need to see what people other people how they respond to this because that's what we're that's where we learn and that's how we bring it in. That's one, having a clear guidebook set set of rules. If there are specific guardrails that you want to make sure people don't fall without and then communicate, communicate, communicate. Um particularly if you're the owner, the leader, the president, whatever that would be, office manager, you need to communicate uh, you know, as much as you think as possible and then double that. Right. Yeah. And just kind of keep doing that. So, yeah.
2: Yeah. It reminds me when I first started consulting in healthcare, um, I was a independent contractor, independent consultant, and we were on a team and I think there were probably 20 people on the core team, maybe 40 or 50 on the ancillary team, all, you know, people that would pop in and do work with us. And, um, we were all across the country and, I've, I've tried to think back about like, why was I so uh, felt so tied into this team? And I think part of it, correct me if I'm wrong here, part of it is that the guy, the, the, uh, director, managing director of the, of the firm was just super big on like round tables, getting together regularly. I mean, we were yeah. on zoom before zoom was cool type thing. And then we met in person as often as we could, well, you know, whether we flew somewhere for a, a team yeah. gathering or, or whatever it was, and it was those shared experiences of other people in the firm who had been there longer than me, showing me how to do this you know X, Y, Z, and then hearing from the leadership they're you know, this is how we're going to do it. or This is why we're doing it or, or whatever the, whatever the topic was. And it was just kind of just being almost, uh, immersed in that, that really helped us mesh together as a team to take people that were, you know, across the country and make us feel like we were a pretty tight knit group. And I guess, that's probably one of the bigger challenges, right? And going re- remote is that you've got these people who maybe the only time they've met with their uh, their supervisor is on the phone or via Zoom yeah. or or something like that. And that can be put a little barrier in that culture building, right?
0: Yeah. And I think it's it's really interesting if we look at the, at least some of the research that I've seen, you know, productivity from remote workforces is actually up. The, the sense of community and bonding and building, though, is down. And so long term, short term, you know, it doesn't matter that much. But if you think about long term, what that means is if there's an opportunity that's you know even close and it seems like it has Comparable, more yeah. sense, of, yeah, more sense of community, I'm going to be jumping ship probably, right? Because that we we have an innate need for that connection and feeling of belonging in various different pieces. Most people, right? There's obviously different elements of of our personalities and how we fit into that. But with that, you're what you talked about, right? This idea that um, having those roundtables, having those open discussions having opportunities for people just to share thoughts and ideas that aren't necessarily agenda-driven on a Zoom call. One of the things that uh, we talked with um, uh, some researchers during COVID, and part of the issue that they talk about uh, that miss from a remote work is we miss out on what's called bump-in moments. These moments like uh, you're going to the cafeteria. Or you're going to a meeting in a, in a meeting room and you got that two minutes that you're there before yeah. or after. And what happens in those are just some of the the interpersonal connection pieces um, like, oh, hey, you, you talked about your grandma last week, you know, how's she doing and kind of those in one on one pieces. But also hey, you know, I forgot to tell you that email that you sent out last week was fantastic and it really helped me in where I was going. And that recognition piece is often missing in that remote work. Just that one off, not like the formal recognition pieces, but that, hey, thank you for that. That was really helpful. Or even just kind of having that, hey, you know, you sent that email. I want to ask you another question about that. Right. And I didn't want to send an email to make you, but you know, we have a couple minutes here. You know, we can we can talk about what that means. And so getting some of those internal things. So the more that you can set up scenario situations that can allow that to happen, then that helps in in building this up An interesting piece, uh, also on remote work and various different pieces that um I was just somebody again, if uh, you know, chat GPT that's out there. Yeah. <laughs> and there was an interesting piece that somebody said, think about the the effort and, Um, kind of the way that we think about asking that right question in those AI chatbots and kind of different things in order to make sure that we get the right result and go, do we put that much time and effort into thinking about the way we talk to our employees or talk to our coworkers? Um, We typically don't. We go, oh, I need you to do X and Y. Instead of like, we need you to do X and Y and we want it in this kind of format and to have this type of voice and to, you know, bring in these pieces of research and various different pieces. But the more that we can think about, hey, even communicating with one another, we need to be thinking about providing them with enough information that they can do the job appropriately in in various different pieces. So
2: yeah, no, that's such a great example. (laughs) example, you spend 10 minutes crafting the prompt for chat GPT sometimes and then, and then it comes to doing something or having your employee do do a task and we are say, oh, um, I need this done. Can you take care of it? Awesome. Great. <laughs> exactly. And then we wonder why. <laughs> wonder why it
0: doesn't get done like we wanted it done or on time or whatever it is. But, but again, that's I think it's a really great insight if we think about, uh, again, we as humans, we have to process that information. We have to be able to understand it. And we, as we talked about mission and and vision before, right, we all have our own lenses. And so you're giving me direction on something to do. Well, I'm going to look at it through my lens and that lens isn't the same as your lens. And so help me get a closer approach to what your lens is so that we can align around what and have a shared agreement around what that is.
2: Yeah. Awesome. Well, we're getting near the bottom of the hour here. So I always (laughs) end with this. If there's one or two main takeaways that you'd want a listener to walk away with from the episode um, specifically around this idea of change and behavior, making decisions and culture and all that, um, what would they be?
0: Um, So one is uh, if you're thinking about change uh, either for yourself or for your organization, understand that it's a multifaceted thing and that usually willpower or motivation in and of itself isn't going to be enough to do it. It's a piece of the puzzle, right? Two is, you know, set up your environment and set up your situation so that the right behavior is easy, the and the bad behavior is hard, difficult. Add friction points in on the bad, reduce friction points on the good, and then three, use tools and and resources and set up kind of systems in order to to make sure that all of those things kind of happen on a consistent basis. Again, behavior change, uh, we talk about goal gradient theory, but you know, we start off with something and it's like we're all excited, we're pumped to do it. Um, and then what goal gradient theory says is that, oh, we start doing it. Think about exercise, think about yeah. anything, right? At the beginning of that, we're, we're excited. And then a couple of weeks in, it's kind of a little less. And then three to four weeks, it's like, ah. <laughs> I'm tired of doing this. And it, it, it's called the problem of the middle. Um, and it's usually when we get closer to the goal or to the end, the motivation increases again, but how do you overcome that, that motivate that problem of the middle? And that's by putting processes to and using tools and having things in place that make it easier for you to do that and to, to make sure that you're achieving the goals and, and changing the behavior that you want.
2: Awesome. Well, Kurt, where can people find out more about you, about your work, about the uh the journals that you've that you've created? Where where can yeah. people find that?
0: Yeah, so um I'm out on all the social media. So Twitter, it's it's motivation guru. Uh LinkedIn is Kurt W. Nelson out there. Um you can listen to our podcast if, if behavioral science is something that you're interested in. Yeah. It's at Behavioral Grooves. It's out on pretty much all platforms. Um, and you talked about the journal. So we did use our insight into behavioral science and different things to help uh, create a journal that people can use to help, again, achieve behavior change, either for themselves or for their team or for their employees. Uh, and it's Based in behavioral science, it's a 13-week journal, helps them set up goals uh, and then kind of work through that every day and giving them different prompts based on the best science that's out there. And it's been very um, impactful for many people to drive some behavior change and make those changes that they've tried to do for a long time. And if you want that, you can go out to, um, it's on Amazon, but it's also out at 100behaviors.com. Uh, and uh, you can order that or any of the other. We have decision-making models. We have uh, goal-setting guide sheets that are out there. So tools just to help you, again, take those pieces around that behavior change or achieving your goals that you want and giving you tools to help you achieve those much easier. So,
2: Awesome. Well, cool deal. Thanks so much for your time, Kurt. Have a good one.
0: Thank you, Rafi. Appreciate it.
2: Well, hopefully you enjoyed that conversation with Kurt Nelson talking about Behavioral change, understanding human behavior, and the implications of that when it comes to managing healthcare organizations and leading teams in healthcare. I think one of the one of the insights he brought up, which made a lot of sense thinking back about it, but I don't ever really think about it much, is just changing the words and the way we use things. You know, that example of taking that company or the corporate president's email, his weekly email, and changing the words to be more achievement-oriented and how that impacted productivity over the long run. Sometimes when we talk about implementing changes at our practices or organizations, we do get caught up in kind of the big mountain of things that need to be put in place for it to be um, something that's effective or sustainable in the long term. And sometimes it's something just as simple as changing the types of words we use. Um, I'm a big fan of, I think I mentioned it on the, uh, on the conversation or in the conversation with Kurt, the, the book by Dan Ariely, I think it's called predictably irrational. Um, but it is funny to think about we as human beings like to consider ourselves rational actors we're always thinking through and we're selecting the best option or we're making decisions because it aligns with whatever we've you know our goals or mission whatever it happens to be we think we're we're taking that into consideration and making those decisions very rationally when in reality as kurt mentioned we make decisions emotionally and then rationalize them on the back end now that has a whole lot of implications if you're running a private healthcare practice and leading a team both on the leadership side, so leading your team, um, encouraging them to implement maybe a new process or a new uh, technology or a new tool or a new, maybe shifting to a new EMR, for example, or something of that nature. And it also has a lot of implications when we market to and communicate with patients and prospective patients. Now, I've covered this in detail in one of the webinars that we did, one of the webcasts we did maybe a year ago. I think it was called a direct-to-consumer marketing. Maybe it was the lead generation piece um, because it was two webinars that we did. Um, You can go to RehabYouPracticeSolutions.com, click on webinars and workshops and and find your way to that uh, series. But it is very important when we're considering motivating and encouraging prospective patients to book an appointment even. That we need to understand that as humans, we make those decisions very emotionally, and then we justify them rationally. So what we need to do is structure our communication in a way that we speak to those emotional needs, and then we also provide the evidence to rationalize the decision on the back end. The same thing when we're leading our team members or encouraging our staff or employees to maybe implement a new process in their workflow or something like that. We need to provide the the emotional needs. We need to provide for those emotional needs, but then also give the evidence for rationalizing on the back end. So you can definitely talk way more about this and in great detail. Um, I'm just I'm just very glad and grateful that uh, Kurt reached out to be on the podcast. I love having conversations with, He's obviously an expert in this field and getting his insights on it was very cool. So um, that's it for this episode. If you like the show, head on over to iTunes, leave us a rating and review. It helps people find the show. Um, If you want to subscribe to the show and be notified when we release new episodes, you can do that at www.betteroutcomes.show or you can go to rehabupracticesolutions.com. Click the insights tab and then the link for podcast and sign up there. We'll, we'll shoot you an email with the show notes and contact information for the guests and all of that good stuff. Um, and if you run a private healthcare practice or an organization and you are looking for a way to implement a system at your practice, department, or organization, that humanizes the healthcare experience and also helps increase some of those business metrics we are so concerned about, reach out to me at RehabYouPracticeSolutions.com. I'd love to have a conversation with you. You can learn more about some of the marketing work that we've done with organizations at .uh, marketing.RehabYouPracticeSolutions.com. Read a little bit about our bottom-up marketing approach And uh, reach out if you want to have a conversation. Until the next time, folks, be safe, be healthy. I will talk with you then.
1: Thanks for listening to the Better Outcomes Show, where we explore the possibilities of a new healthcare. Our hope is that you walk away from each episode informed, equipped, and empowered to push the boundaries in your own practice or business. We want to give you the tools to help you build strong, long-lasting relationships with your patients and clients helping meet their goals, improve their health, and achieve better outcomes. Learn more at www.RehabYouPracticeSolutions.com. We'll catch you on the next episode.